Neves Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. A very warm welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia Elgouri. And I'm Cathy Weston. So it's the time of the year. Did you get your brown, your brown envelope with the school report? Have you got yours yet, Cathy? I did. I'm still reeling from the fact that someone called my eldest an angel. I, I didn't <laughs> want to ring up the school and say, sorry, has, have I got the wrong report? Come on, give me the right one. Come Will on, you, seriously, have you ever read a school report and thought, they're not really talking about my child? Yeah. That's been copied as we, someone else. We've got the full excitement ahead of us. We haven't had our reports yet. I oh, think I it's see. tomorrow, big day. Mm. And, you know, of course, for some parents, Parents, you know, it's it's fantastic. It's everything they were hoping for. Some are a bit disappointed. But then for others, they get feedback that is completely out of the blue and that that's um, that they need to get to the bottom of because it looks like there might actually be an issue with their child. That's right. And, you know, we're talking tonight about literacy difficulties. And we've discovered from some wonderful research that's been commissioned by the Driver Youth Trust in 2018 that 49% of all classes, Lydia, have at least one student with dyslexia in this country. So, you know, one of the most prevalent literacy difficulties in English schools is dyslexia. And I think a lot of parents, I think you and I have come across so many parents informally, you know, in our own lives who've who've really struggled to work out how to support a child that is very, very bright often, but just isn't the, the reading, the writing and maybe even language skills are coming quite slowly. Um, and I think that was the inspiration for tonight's show is, you know, these children are so able and so bright and often gifted and we need to make sure they're getting the right um, attention and the right assessment and the right, um, you know, uh, advice so that the parents can really help them thrive as they should be. And you often see parents when they when they realise that there's something wrong, they, they, where do you start? You know, where where do you find the help that you need? And nobody has all the answers really so that's why we're talking tonight we're going to get to the bottom of the issue and find out the right path to take for parents to understand what they need to do and you know what i'm so confident in our guests tonight you know we've worked really hard to find them they are absolutely fantastic in terms of advising parents who are who've got children struggling in this area um, our first guest is going to be chief executive of the driver youth trust that's chris rossiter who's a psychologist by background he's over 10 years experience in this field and this amazing um, group the Driver Youth Trust charity it works in schools all over the country supporting children with um, special educational needs. He's also um, a chair of governors and later on we'll be speaking to a very inspirational mum Jane Sparrow who's parent to Archie who has taken her son I really believe just by her own you know metal and strength of character and initiative and that child is thrilled Arriving, where in year two he w- he was struggling, and that's a really inspirational story. And the last guest is Sarah Cox, who's a, an SEN consultant and and again a dyslexia specialist. Great. So we're going to start off speaking to Chris Rossiter, who's joining us online. And just to remind listeners, so he's chief executive of the Driver Youth Trust. Hi, hi. How are you doing, Chris? Hello. Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us this evening on the Parents Show. So tell, tell us a little bit about the Driver Youth Trust and, and tell us what literacy difficulties actually mean. 
Sure. So the Driver Youth Trust is a charity committed to improving outcomes for young people who struggle with literacy. We were founded in 2007 by Sarah and Mark Driver, and they're parents of, of four children, three of which have uh, some form of literacy difficulty. So the charity is dedicated to ensuring that every child that we work with and the schools we work with um, is supported through their education. And we do that through, through various means, um, such as through teacher training. Um, but we also uh, work with decision makers, so, so policy makers, central government and so on, so that they really understand the nature of literacy difficulties too, and then so that they can prioritise it and, and hopefully we can get some action at a, at a national level. But by literacy difficulties, what we really mean is children who have a persistent difficulty um, with acquiring some form of literacy, whether that's in reading or writing, speaking or listening. And so this isn't a, um, necessarily just um, a, um, a struggle to acquire literacy um, because the child is just struggling to pick it up. And so it wouldn't be a short-term issue. It would be something that would most likely be with them throughout their, their school career and, and potentially beyond. Um, and so it's a, real, it's a real kind of pernicious difficulty that, that if not dealt with early, can become much more serious. Um, but generally speaking, we do have the, the knowledge and the resources to deliver solutions for these children that can make a real difference to their education. Uh, Chris, can I ask about, we've got your report in front of you, um, which is very interesting, and it says that 49% of all classes in England have at least one student with dyslexia. Yeah. Um, so it's very, it seems to be quite prevalent. But the very first question parents always ask is, are teachers trained sufficiently to spot these issues at an early stage? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's quite a tricky question to answer. I suppose the short answer is probably not. And the reason I say probably not is because the way that teacher training is delivered is delivered through multiple routes. And so, therefore, there will be an awful lot of variation. So there will be some teacher training providers who, who probably do that very well. Um, but at the same time, we know that there are, that there are others who don't. Um, so one of the other pieces of research that uh, Drive Youth Trust uh, published was an anal analysis of Ofsted inspection reports of those providers. And what we found is only one in seven of those actually mentioned special educational needs. So it's quite difficult to know for sure whether that's being covered, but the fact that they're not mentioned um, as a particular area of strength or, or area for development in those reports suggests, um, of course, that there, first of all, there is almost certainly some variation, but, but potentially that it isn't covered at all. So, Chris, if a parent has, has, you know, that feeling, a gut feeling that there is a literacy issue, but doesn't know where to start and the school hasn't flagged it, it doesn't by any stretch mean that there's not an issue. And what should they do? Yeah, I mean, the first thing they should do is go and talk to their classroom teacher and explain um, why they have the concerns that they have. If you've got a, a child who... Um, for example, if they're in particularly if they're in primary school and they're learning, you know, the keywords for spellings, for example, and they're really, really struggling with that, or it's taking them, you know, exponentially longer than you would normally expect. That's something which maybe is not being noticed in the classroom because, you know, that that child's going to be sat with, you know, 29 others potentially. Um, 
but also it might be a very very specific difficulty in you know they're really not picking up um, you know particular words or they're really finding grammar something like that really really difficult um, so going to talk to your classroom teacher explaining um, uh, those those difficulties and what your concerns are around you know the impact of that on the child is absolutely the first place to go um, and you know and, and, and hopefully that would open a, um, a conversation where perhaps you might then be able to talk to the school's special educational needs coordinator the SENCO um, and then and then thinking about if if there is a, an identified issue thinking about what additional things can be put in place whether they are obviously in school but also thinking about parents and teachers as a team really working together in school and and at home of course around okay well if we're going to set homework let's set a time limit on that homework and let's see how much um your child can complete in you know half an hour rather than you know seeing at the table all evening and then we can start to to, to unpick you know what is it that they're, that they're really struggling with so it, you know is it handwriting is it spelling is it is it reading and so on and Chris, you've mentioned, you know, with this does is this umbrella term of literacy difficulties, it does cover speech, language and listening, as you've mentioned. I think that's that's very, you know, a, a new line of thinking for many parents. Can you say a little bit more about speech and, and language difficulties and sure. how, how that kind of fits under that umbrella? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we've tried to do at Driver Youth Trust is really to see literacy difficulties and not being related to a specific label such as dyslexia. That's not to say, of course, that dyslexia isn't important. Of course it is. But it's about saying there is a, is a group of, of children, we think quite a considerably large group of, of children who are struggling with literacy because of a recognised difficulty. Um, Speech and language happens to be the largest um, group within special educational needs, so there is a higher percentage of children with speech, language and communication difficulties um, in the education system there, than there are of any other, any other type. And so we took the, the decision to, to not exclude those children from our work because they will almost certainly have a literacy difficulty, even though the basis is in language. So if a child has what we would call a receptive or an expressive language disorder, that is their inability or their difficulty in understanding what's being said to them and then respond in an appropriate way, um, that's you know, finding the right words and using them in the right tense or in the right context, then that's something that is, they're really gonna struggle with later on. And ultimately, if a child can't say a word, they cannot read that word and so we've got to be able to think about those difficulties while they might present as a speech um, or language difficulty perhaps in early years they may re-emerge re as a literacy difficulty later on in the child's education. And Chris talk to us about Ofsted how what kind of a role does this play um, in in the system particularly yeah. in, particularly in relation to literacy issues? Sure. So, so obviously Ofsted um, inspects schools and they have um, criteria in, in which to work from. And they, they don't necessarily focus on, on, on the children that, that, that we would like them to. And the reason for that is that most, of, most children with special educational needs, although there might be, in a, might be an assumption that, that they would include um, uh, children with quite severe needs, and of course that they are included so you might have a child who has a hearing impairment or might be visually impaired or might have a physical disability those children might more regularly be be educated in special schools and, and special schools do a fantastic job but the reality is the vast majority one um, sorry eight in ten um, 
children with special educational needs are educated in the mainstream. So they're in every day, they're in your local primary and your local secondary where, you, where you're sending your own children. And so when Ofsted go in to inspect those schools, they are be looking at the, you know, the bigger picture. And more often than not, they are not going to pick up on the, the individual cases of those children, um, even if they are a, a sizable cohort within that school, simply because they're looking at a whole range of issues. Now, Ofsted have just uh, finished um, consulting on a new framework and then have subsequently published their, um, their new criteria, and that will be going live, as it were, from September. And what we've seen is, is a, a significant increase in mention of a, a specific learn, sorry, special educational needs in that framework, which I think is a positive step forward. The problem is, as I say, is that that is um, considered amongst a whole range of other things, um, and so therefore there could be uh, the tendency for that to be missed. Of course, we also have to think about um, Ofsted's inspectors and how well are they trained and how well do they understand what good, in inverted commas, looks like for these children. So, so how effective is the provision? Um, I think there are lots of positive steps, I'll say, in the new framework, but until we really see what it looks like and we see that those, those inspection reports start coming, coming out um, from, from, from the autumn term, we won't really understand whether this is going to make a difference. So the only other thing I would say about Ofsted is that Typically, most schools won't be inspected um, more frequently than every three years or so. And actually, if your school has been judged, previously judged as outstanding, that could be much, much longer. And we know that there are outstanding schools who have not been inspected in over 10 years. So although we think that accountability in schools is absolutely critical for making sure that these children you know, get a good education, that they're making progress and then eventually go on to attain in whatever tests they might be sitting, actually we, we think that accountability needs to start in the school. And yes, of course, there's, there's, there's a space for external accountability through Ofsted, but we really need internal accountability to be as good as it can be as well. And that obviously starts with school leaders, head teachers in particular, but it also starts with school governors. And we really need to see um, a, a kind of a, a gear change in terms of how they're holding their settings to account so that we can make sure that those questions are being asked every time there's a governance meeting, you know, every every term or every couple of months, not every three to ten years. And isn't that a very nice tip? I've never even connected that school governors parent governors they all have a role to play and actually highlight i think you're the d uh, the dyt the driver youth trust position report on li literacy difficulties that's on your website every school governor should read that i think it's really clear to read and what comes through it as well is that you know the impact of these literacy difficulties on life chances is profound so this should be at the heart of every school it means some of these um, some of these outcomes are related so strongly to poverty and disadvantage as well um, so I think that your report highlights some really, you know, very important, broad issues that every school should be interested in. Absolutely, yeah, I, I, I very much appreciate the, the comment. Um, I mean, I think we, you know, what, what we'll try and do is we're trying to remind people that every time the government brings out a new initiative, that they really need to put these kids at the centre because we know that these kids are the ones who historically, you know, this is this is not a new issue. These children have had lower educational outcomes, you know, not just in the last two, three, five years, but for decades. And actually, 
not enough is changing for these kids and, and not there is not enough attention paid by people at the very top of the system, if you like, around let's prioritise what we do for these children. Um, even though, of course, nobody in education would disagree with, you know, we want more children to make you know, good progress and we want children to, um, you know, achieve better in their exams. But what we know is without these really specific um, interventions and understanding about how these literacy difficulties affect that child, actually just standard approaches will not be as effective. And Chris, I wanted to ask you, um, going back to the school and the SENCO, you said that's where you your conversation should lead. What if the SENCO, is it possible that SENCOs mightn't diagnose an issue with your child? And if that does arise, what should a parent do? Yeah, so again, that's, I guess that's an interesting question. So, so I... So although it is for the, uh, for the SENCO would ordinarily administer um, forms of assessment, um, they wouldn't necessarily diagnose um, a child. So, so they might run a series of, um, of sort of lower level tests, if you like, to see whether, you know, to try and unpick what, what the difficulty is and whether um, if it's, so for example, if it's a reading difficulty, is it about reading speed? Is it about the fluency of that reading? Um, is it a, a kind of decoding um, difficulty so that would be what um, children would use phonics for or is it more of a comprehension difficulty so that although a child might be able to read a page of text perfectly well they actually can't understand um, what's going on and if it's a story you know what the characters are about um, so 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 if you were looking to uh, get a diagnosis um, at least in the past, the way that would happen is that you would be referred to an educational psychologist um, working for your local authority. And, and with academies and, and the general changes in the system, um, that happens, I think, much less readily than it did. And so it's much more likely that we, we are labelling children without having a formal diagnosis sometimes, and that also that parents will be, um, assuming that they can afford it, um, going to uh, private practitioners, specialist teachers or educational psychologists. And Chris, that is something that. that we're going to explore with our next guest. Yeah, yeah, because because yeah. the the financial burden on so many parents with children of special educational needs is outrageous and is. they are all funding these things in from my experience themselves and and these assessments that are so desperately needed are very expensive to achieve. They are, but what I would say is that they schools should not be waiting um, to get that evidence. It should be immediately clear if you have a child in your class who is not reading, is having difficulty with handwriting, cannot spell. That should be, that, that should be incredibly obvious to anyone who spends any time with that child. And so there is, shouldn't, uh, there is no reason for a delay in putting in additional support. You know, you might, you might give a child um, some form of assessment and try and really pin down exactly what the difficulty is. And then there are typically lots of things going on in schools. So um, you have intervention groups or, you know, smaller groups who are working more intensively on whatever um, area of difficulty it might be. And that, that, you know, that support can be put in place, you know, today, tomorrow. It do, you don't have to wait, you know, months or, or, or even a few weeks um, for that kind of assessment. OK, well, thank you so much for joining us. Just very, very quickly, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to tell us if you could wave a magic wand in this area, the Driver Youth Trust, they could wave a magic wand, what would you, what would you see the next day? Three things. 
three things. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> well, I think, um, first of all, the number one thing we have to have is better trained teachers. Um, we need teachers who, who understand special educational needs and literacy difficulties, know what the signs are, you know, into how to identify a child, and then, likewise, what to do, not just in the immediate term, but also helping them every day in that classroom all the way through their school career. Brilliant. And this is what this show is about. So when we provincially podcast it, people will have a ton of information. That includes teachers as well as parents. So thank you so much to, for, for joining us. Chris Rossiter, um, Chief Executive of the Driver Youth Trust. Pleasure. Well, there we are. Isn't he great? And isn't it great to know the Driver Youth Trust is out there fighting the cause and interested in lobbying government and interested in, you know, they know what they're out, they need to do and they're out there doing it. So and speaking to the people who are going to make a difference, which is, you know, it's, totally. it's fantastic, fantastic for the, there to be a vision, particularly for SEN, because it's everybody knows it's so much harder for SEN parents on, on every level, isn't it? Like you say, financially, but not just financially, emotionally tapping into the right resources knowing what you need to do and and I'm sure there must be a lack of support as well between parents because you're generally you're not, you're you're in mainstream schools but your children aren't mainstream in those mainstream schools that's right and I think we'll hear from our next we'll bring in our next guest now there's no point us chatting about what the experience is like when we have Jane in the studio welcome to Radio Verland Parents Show hello how are you I'm very well thank you well thank you so much Jane for coming in and sharing what I know will be an inspirational story for, for, for parents listening. We've just heard there the sort of the, the scenario that's meant to happen. You know, your child's needs are meant to be picked up at an early stage. Tell us about Archie. Tell us what, when did you think things weren't right, if you like, at school? And how did that develop in those early days? So I think it was year one. So, for Archie wasn't keeping up with his peer group, and he's an only child, so I didn't have any siblings to compare him with or how his development was going at school. And in reception, you ask the questions of the parent, are they hitting their milestones, how are they doing? And quite sensibly, the teacher would say, well, children develop at different rates, it's fine, don't worry about it, it's reception. And then you, you you go into year one and the same thing again, children develop at different rates. But by the end of year one, I was noticing a real marked difference between Archie and his peer group because that was the only frame of reference I had. And he wasn't reading. And you think, my child should be reading. He wasn't reading anything? Very, very little. And by that stage, he was what age? He was year two. Uh, so he's probably about what age six. is that? Six. He was six. And he wasn't reading a word. No. So it was year... Oh, no. Yeah, six. Six. Yeah, yeah. Just turned six. Mm -hmm. What did you do then? So you kept hearing this kind of, you know, mantra. So, yeah, yeah. We went into school. We asked for a meeting with his class teacher. And we asked, you know, what can we do? Can we take him off phonics? Because the current scheme, reading scheme now for children is phonics-based. Can we take him off phonics? Is there is there anything else? No, you can only do phonics. So we went away thinking, well, it doesn't seem quite right, really. So we changed schools for year two. And we went into the new school. They were very receptive. My child isn't reading. What can you do? Well, they did a casual online diagnostic test. He came up with a very high probability of dyslexia. So they 
also moved him off phonics. They, they put him on probably what's considered quite an old-fashioned reading scheme of here's a word, let's learn the word, let's learn a beginning and an end, and let's find all the other words with ing, you now know the sound. And that seemed to work really, really well for him. He had a good memory, he could learn that way. And then it wasn't really until, I'd say, year three that we thought, well, we're not really progressing again. What's, what's going on here? And we were casually advised by a class teacher that perhaps there was more going on than just dyslexia. So very luckily, I bumped into a fellow parent who gave me the name of um, what turned out to be a clinical psychologist. And we contacted her and made the appointments and we went through uh, diagnostic testing. And that probably took two months. Wow. That's and that a was a clinical time. psychologist. Two months of assessments and, and, and presumably at cost. You had to pay for that yourself. Yes, this was private route. We didn't go via CAMS. And is that an option for parents? They can go via CAMS for that sort of diagnosis? Yeah, you can. Uh, you can go via your GP. Your school can recommend. Um, yes. And what was your experience like of, of, of meeting this clinical psychologist and the experience of her sort of taking this issue on board? And It was quite full on, actually. Um, before we even started the testing uh, of my son, we had to go in for an interview, my husband and I and talk about all the issues we thought our child had uh, and what we what we discussed with school. Um, so she wanted the whole story? Yes, yeah, she also wanted yeah. uh, the Red Book. Wow. And uh, notes from nursery if we had them, and luckily, um, yeah, we did. So she interviewed us, read the Red Book, read the nursery reports, and um, then started the testing process with, with Archie. What is that testing process for people listening? You think testing, you know, have they got like electrodes stuck to his head and, you know, okay. <laughs> a big screen? So he had an assessment with an occupational therapist, a speech and language therapist. Wow. Uh, he had an observation at school that he didn't realise he was being observed. Um general GP check just to check there was no underlying health conditions a specialist eye test that's wow. a behavioral optometrist a specialist hearing test and then the clinical psychologist did her battery of testing which are all standard standardized testing how did Archie respond to that experience very well actually I think partly because it was quite spaced out yeah and Partly all the staff I encountered, that was the optometrist, the hearing, everyone was very understanding, very uh, keyed up to kids' needs and if they're finding it tiring or too much for them. So, yeah, it went really well, actually. And what was the outcome, Jane? How did, it, how, how did all this come together? Well, there was no great surprise for him. Uh, so he came back with dyslexia and... An autism con spectrum condition, which the class teacher had suspected. Um, tracking issues came back from the optometrist, so he couldn't read a line properly. Uh, the, the eyes jump around, so he couldn't track from the start to the end of a sentence and then follow through from the end of a sentence to the beginning of another. So interesting. That's so a big you, you've got like a big, massive, holistic. Um, a view of, like it was about 
Oh, the way his eyes were tracking the page. It was about yeah the way he saw the world, like so many different things in, in one go. And a, a hearing condition, so he finds it quite difficult to... So imagine you're at a big bustling party and you want to listen to that one person. Well, it's quite difficult, but most of us can, can hone in on that sound. He finds that quite difficult. Uh, so that was the other thing that was picked up. He hasn't see you wouldn't pick it up with a normal optician or a normal audiologist because they wouldn't and can't test for those things. And I think the behavioural optometrist there's only sixty five in the whole country. Yeah, yeah. So this is very interesting. I think that you went for one clinical psychologist and she was able to find all that appropriate help in a kind of a package well that was her deal really she would have done wow. the testing without these other checks because you don't know if your child has an underlying health condition i mean what if they had glue ear yeah that's easily sorted yeah yeah you don't need to go through a battery of testing once the glue is sorted out hopefully speech and language will then develop from there really and interestingly you said she's a clinical psychologist and and from our experience or from talking to other parents, they're generally referred to an educational psychologist. Why did you go down the route? Was it, was it something specific that the parent told you, the parent put you in touch with? Yes, it was just blind luck really? for us. It was just blind luck. <laughs> right. Uh, but my understanding of the difference now, it was quite, um, quite profound, really, that we managed to, to just luck out and, and get this referral. So my understanding of the differences is a clinical psychologist is definitely more mental health therapeutic, but this particular clinical psychologist has, her specialism is specific learning difficulties and autism. So she could do all the testing for that. Um, and Ed Psych, as my understanding, is um, somebody who may or may not be able to test for dyslexia. Uh, they can't test for autism, ADHD, ADD. So if there is anything else going on with your child, they can't pick it up, they can't test for it. And Paula, what did you do the, you know, at home? What were you doing? What have you learned that really helped um, Archie at home that you and your husband did, presumably from lots of research and advice? Uh, little and often learning, no long periods. Uh, we don't force reading at all. He doesn't read for pleasure at all, so we don't force that. And lots of audio books if we want to read anything. Um, we had weekly sessions with the clinical psychologist, uh, and they would do lots of therapeutic things with him. So they'd start with sand play, which I understand is literally a box of sand with lots of little pieces that they can create a world with. And then the therapist can decide what kind of day they're having, what they're talking about. It leads the, the therapy session. But then there would also be soft skills. So how do you deal with anxiety? How do you recognise anxiety as a, as a child when you haven't got the language and the experience of that? How do you, you know, how do you want to learn? What, also, how to get things down on paper. For a dyslexic child, it's very difficult for them to write because they feel so anxious about spelling, grammar punctuation all these things get in the way of literally getting words on paper so you want them to have a flow and a confidence and you can go back later and correct all those other things so it was just you know find it also building confidence really what kind of things do they enjoy doing so if they're feeling down about their schoolwork they can feel better about themselves with something else and what did Archie do what was his talent or interest in terms of sport or creativity or he loves art and martial arts he's not good with group sports 
because of his rigidity and his thinking and rules, if he thinks that somebody isn't following a rule, it would have a meltdown effect with him. So single but yet group sports, mm. so he wasn't isolated, worked really well for him. Jane, how do you feel about the whole process from from the diagnosis to now? How has it been as a parent? Stressful, expensive. It's quite socially isolating at times. Um, I find teachers individually are very supportive and very helpful, but sometimes the their hands are tied by the culture of the institution or that they've got 30 other kids to deal with. So, uh, you know, if you can take a lot out of the classroom setting and try and do it yourself, uh, it just gives you reassurance, really, because you don't know really what's going on in the classroom. Um, yeah, so if you get everything as, as working as well as possible at home with yes. all those lovely little things. Can I also say, we're all excited to hear, when did you start seeing results in terms of his academic progress? So we went for formalised testing then. Uh, in so year it was about year four. Year four. Uh -huh. it, that was year four. Mm -hmm. I'd say halfway through year five. I started seeing a much happier child and Brilliant. things started to click for him. Uh, de definitely year five was a pivot, definitely. Um, but that that was quite intensive. That was the weekly sessions with the clinical. That was uh, school sessions, one-on-one -on -one with learning support. That was stuff we did at home. So, yes. And for, you must have learned so much in the last period of time since the diagnosis. How do you do that as well as all the other things that need to go on in life? I mean, have you basically had to get your head totally around the whole concept, the whole autism yes. Um, spectrum yes so become educated you don't have to become an expert um, but you have to familiarize yourself with processes with language because you have all these special medical words or special educational words that don't crop up normally in conversation I mean who talks about comorbidity well they will with your child if they have more than one condition at the same time and what that might mean for their learning so Fred's Archie's dyslexia manifests itself in one way, but his autism manifests itself in another. So which do you unpick and how do you treat one and how do you treat the other? And that can be quite complicated. And that's where the complexity comes in, isn't it? Definitely. But, um, when I um, wrote to you before the show and asked you about the lessons that other parents can learn and you sent me a gorgeous list so I think we should just go through that list because it's been so beautifully thought out. Okay so keep their self-esteem and it's about keeping them in education because a lack of education is a lack of opportunity I think for everybody whether you have difficulties or not. Fight for everything that is recommended from the diagnosis because that that list of recommendations is what's going to help your child and don't rely on an informal in school diagnosis. It's not a diagnosis. Go to a professional and get the diagnosis because this gives you, well, it gives you a legal safeguard. It gives you a framework that schools should be using to help and teach your child. You can't always rely on, on the goodwill. It doesn't offer protection. How to choose a professional. Uh, I don't think it matters which route you go down, clinical or educationalist, but there are questions to ask. So what are you qualified to 
to diagnose what are you are you qualified to to do the testing score the testing and give me a diagnosis and if not where else do I go who else do I look at early intervention and support the earlier you can get it the better um, just accept that not everyone will believe the diagnosis especially if you have a high achieving academic child because they, Archie was very very bright yes. and gifted in lots of areas the testing when when you have the formalized testing there's a couple of tests one's called a WIST I think and one's called a Wyatt and it will break down all the component parts of your child's learning and there were real divergences of of the testing segments real divergences so in some so he was eight and a half when he was originally tested and some gave him a a six and a half year score so an equivalent to a child of six and a half and then others were a child of 16. wow um so that was the difference between his early years of not being able to read but having a massive wide vocabulary and that wasn't really picked up uh Yes, so don't worry, not everyone's going to believe you. Um, problems with multiple diagnosis. So again, you know, if you have a child that's been diagnosed with different things, there's going to be different pulls on their learning and strate learning strategies, really, from from staff. Get educated. You, you have to. You have to learn the statutory and the treatment frameworks for your child because nobody's going to explain it to you. And you need to know how to complain if things aren't going well. And how do you even find out about the statutory and treatment frameworks? So you're, you're told by your clinician, I guess. Not really, actually. Um, so you should get a report. In that report should be your child's diagnosis, how they've diagnosed your child, the scores for those, the level indicators of their problems. Then you should get a list of recommendations. If... If the recommendations are not being followed, there are services. So, am I allowed to say? <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> Absolutely. So, there's one called IPSEA, I P S E A, and another one called SOSEN, which is S O S S E N. And they both can give you um, guidelines on uh, what you can and can't ask for, timeframes to. Um, if you disagree with something when you could where and when you can go and complain is it kind of like your legal rights yes it as is as a parent it is okay so and they're free they're free um to access and they also give very helpful downloads about you know that so they'll find within the equalities act the documents you need and things and, and give you a pdf and, and so we we'll, we'll share those uh, websites on our facebook page but it actually mentions you mentioned the law society as well so yes. they provide support it's the worst case scenario if you need to go down the legal route but if you do you need to find a solicitor who has a specialism in send and education um so that they have a finder function and um, Jane, you so kindly sent us a massive list of your best websites for <laughs> parents and we have them and we will be putting all of them. Isn't that an amazing thing to put up on Facebook? And th that information has been derived from so much of your blood, sweat and tears. So thank you. Some of them look amazing. Thank you. you you've clearly really just embraced the whole the whole situation and informed yourself so highly jane it's really really fantastic i think you have to really uh, tell us what archie is doing now and what age he is he's 13 wow he's about to move on to senior school 
uh, and he was accepted by, uh, I suppose you'd call it a very academic school. Wow, isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is where he belongs, you know? I think y- you have an attitude. I think culturally there's an attitude that you have children with learning difficulties and they have low ability and that's not the case at all. In order for diagnosis for a lot of these conditions it's normal IQ or above so why are these children failing in school? It's not because they lack ability they lack teaching. People who can respond to their particular gifts and and difficulties. Yeah, strategies and interventions for that child. And then if they get them in place and for long enough, there's no reason why these kids can't thrive. So it is really about early intervention, isn't it? Absolutely. So, but I, I want to pull you back, Jane, to the, your list. You haven't exhausted them all. Ooh. And I, I think they're so valuable to parents. So there's a, a group called Helen Arkell. I think they're, I think they're down Guildford Way. And they specialise in dyslexia and specific learning difficulties as well. And they have lots of resources for parents. They um, do courses. They have a uh, an online shop where you can buy really useful things like a dyslexics dictionary. Gorgeous. I love it. Yeah. That's uh, amazing. Um, That's helenarkle.org.uk. We're going to put that up. Yeah. yeah. And I gave some uh, references to book publishers for specialist books printed in font, specialist dyslexia-friendly fonts and also page colours for kids. And some of these books are the same as any other child would read and some of them are more specialist written for that particular publisher. Amazing. Um, I love this tip here. Pick your battles and keep your sanity. We could stick that on a mug and put it in the kitchen, couldn't we? Yeah. Some some things you can ask teaching staff to do and it just gets ignored and you just think, perhaps I just won't force the issue on this and you just take it out and that's something you do at home. Yeah, definitely. And what about you, Jane? Because you need support too. How does that work? Have you found it? Because as you you mentioned right at the beginning, it's a very isolating situation for parents as well as children to be in. And there's no sign for improvement. I mean, I see send parents in our school and and you just see life is harder for them. Yeah. So you find other like-minded parents to talk to. That's your support group, really, because, um, you know, when you're having a bad day, your friends don't always want to hear you talking about your bad day because they can't always relate to it so definitely you know I've since discovered at my school there's lots of parents with children who have specific learning difficulties but I didn't know about it and I think part of the reason is schools are not allowed to tell you yeah that's Ah, interesting isn't it it is and also you know when when you sign up for the PTA you have to tick the box saying I'm happy to have my details shared I wish there was something like that yeah. yeah, that's such a lovely yes, idea. But that is a great idea suggested to your school office. You know, can can you know can there be a WhatsApp group for for send parents? Yeah, you know? definitely. Even if there's nothing particularly constructive going on, it's just nice to have a coffee and offload. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, Jane, stay with us because we're going to keep you here in our studio uh, under lock and key because we want your feedback on our next guest, who will be Sarah Cox, and she's an SEN consultant and a specialist in dyslexia and she does an amazing job and she's on a mission to make sure tutors offering one-to-one with uh, all students are actually dyslexia trained so hopefully we'll get her on the phone in a couple of minutes i'll just read out her bio um if that's okay 
if I can find it here on my script. Um, Sarah, uh, I met her a year ago and I thought she was just, she's one of these people I never forgot because of her passion for this topic. She's a trained dyslexia specialist, SEN consultant for something called Osborne Cockwell Tuition. She has worked in a number of primary schools. She's an Ed Senko from a London school, an English tutor of 20 years. She provides training to tutors, advice to parents on SEN related issues. She believes all educators, not only in school, but also academic subject tutors providing individual support in home should have a basic knowledge of special, uh, specific learning difficulties and how to support students effectively. Um, she also promotes positive qualities. All those things um, Jane has just been mentioning, nurturing children's skills, talents uh, by those possessed with dyslexia and hopes that the education system will soon begin to recognise and applaud these diverse talents rather than penalising and stifling these children's creativity and ability to think outside the box. It's not a beautiful bio. Fantastic. And we're really delighted to welcome uh, Sarah Cox on the Parents Show this evening. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Are Lovely you intro. Thanks so much. Yeah. Are you <laughs> blushing with all those, oh, I must be. All thank those you. Acc- accolades and compliments? <laughs> thank um, you. It's a, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Um, can you tell us how do parents spot the first signs or spot the signs of dyslexia? Well, it, it can be really early on. It can even be preschool. You know, when, when children start talking, indicative signs can be, you know, it's a, they're a late talker. They may have difficulty pronouncing words. You know, part of the, a characteristic feature of dyslexia is verbal memory. So, so they may struggle with multiple steps directions and instructions that you give them um rhyming you know do nursery rhymes they may not be able to rhyme easily later on you know children sorry parents might notice sort of year three and four that that students can be very bright verbally but their their writing ability doesn't necessarily match this and reading may be hesitant and they may be embarrassed to read aloud and, and start guessing words and missing out words but there are general clusters of behaviours that can also be indicative of dyslexia. So it might be things like poor personal organisation or timekeeping or left-right confusion. So there's a number of things, but, but what I really want to say is there can be indicative signs of it through strengths that these students can show. So, so a lot of dyslexic students I've worked with have extraordinary creative abilities and the ability to think and perceive in a, a multi-dimensional way and think in pictures instead of words, which allows them to be sort of big picture thinkers and have vivid imagination. So, you know, it's, let's not just look at the negative elements. Let's look at the strengths that these remarkable kids have as well. I mean, just in listening to you say that, Sarah, I'm thinking the way in which, you know, children are tested, like, you know, I did the mm. 11 plus, and, mm. and I was just thinking, if you have that kind of brilliant mind, mm. but mm. that uh, it must be, you know, how can that test possibly let that child shine? It doesn't, and this is what's so sad, because these children are often, dyslexic children are often have been the brightest children I've taught, the most intelligent, and they're resilient because they're having to go through an education system that, that sort of stifles their creativity because they're marked on spelling and not how wonderful and creative their stories are. So until that sort of exam, exam process changes, that's going to continue to happen, which is sort of heartbreaking as far as I'm concerned. And Sarah, if 
how, what's the average age of diagnosis with dyslexia? Well, I mean, the earlier the better, as everyone keeps saying. And, you know, there are even screeners that you can do, which aren't diagnostic tools, but, but they, they are indicative of dyslexia that can be done from actually preschool, but, but really from age five, you can do them. There's a free one online. There's a company called Nessie.com, and you can literally log on as a parent, and there are little, it's like a 20-minute thing, and it will show you your child's strengths and weaknesses in all sorts of different different processing uh, areas like processing speed, phonological awareness, that's mapping letters to sounds and sounds to letters and, and things like memory. So, you know, really early on you can do this. And then if it is showing that there may be dyslexia there, you can then go on and from the age of about seven, you can have a proper diagnostic assessment. And Sarah, are there different types of dyslexia? You know, is there a yes. range? Can you be a little bit dyslexic? Absolutely. It is on a, on a spectrum of mild to severe. The, the main, there are different types of dyslexia, but the main one we come across that's developmental is phonological dyslexia. And that obviously uh, is to do with letters and sounds, but also you have the, the difficulty with working memory which is holding information in your head, like, like uh, mental maths equations and things like that. But also, if a teacher in a classroom is doing a lot of verbal instruction and, you know, multiple instructions in one go, a dyslexic brain will simply switch off because it's just too much information. So we need to be chunking information into smaller parts. And so just really simple things like that can make such a huge difference in the classroom. And Sarah, you know, if you've got 35 children, and when I was at mm. school, there were 35 mm. of us in the classroom. And I remember the teacher getting me to teach the mm. one table of kids about <laughs> reading, you know, it was like 1980 in Belfast. And that was what you had to do. But in turn, I've forgotten my question. But, um, I've got you got distracted wrong. by what? the table. I've got distra- Sorry, uh, let me see if I could remember my question. Yes, yes, I've got it. Um, so, so what I was saying is the temptation is naturally to think my child needs one to one support at home. And that's where, you know, tuition would come in Mm, mm. so tell us I mean how prevalent is it I think anecdotally it's very prevalent that parents are hiring tutors you know to who special who will get who will listen to this child and tailor the teaching for them and and this can be so crucial because from from a if it's spotted at a young age you the best way to do this would be to have a dyslexia specialist because they can provide the cumulative and structured multi-sensory phonics sort of instruction that's tailored to the student and and, and the thing is dyslexia manifests in different ways in every single person it's it's totally different so you know you need to tailor lessons to the individual really you can do small group work but but really it needs to be one-on-one but my my passion actually we we run a tutoring agency for and, and it's academic subject tutors and and what we often find is tutoring falls into a sort of two main categories either either the ones that are that that are sort of studying for exams like you know pre-test and 11 plus or GCSEs or it's students with specific learning difficulties that need that extra support to access the information that they're not accessing in a classroom setting so I feel strongly that that academic subject tutors should be clued up about SPLDs and how to teach in a particular way to the strengths of the students and Sarah, um, our previous speaker, mm. our previous um, guest mm. was saying about the importance of confidence. Mm. So is that what tutoring does, apart from obviously this, the content that they're, that they're teaching? Oh, 
gosh, a hundred percent. Because you know, a classroom setting uh, for some of these children can be unbearable, and they, you know, if it's got to a point where they've not been diagnosed early, they they start to lack confidence and motivation. And you know, these are bright children. And, and, and it's so frustrating for them. So, so in a one-on-one situation in the comfort of their own home, they can ask the questions that they might not be willing to put their hand up in a, in a, in a classroom full of, of students. So it, it's a really powerful and, and, and often transformational experience to have someone where they go, actually, I really don't understand how you're explaining that. And a, a good tutor will say, that's absolutely fine. Let's look at it in a different way. Let's play to your strengths. If you're visual, let's use, you know, pictures or graphic organisers to structure our work and so on and so forth. So you're actually teaching, apart from teaching the content mm-hmm. in a way that's accessible to the children, mm-hmm. you're teaching them learning methods. Absolutely. That, that works it should best always be about study skills and how to play to your strengths. Absolutely. Yes. That's fantastic. I mean, Every child needs that kind of support, never mind children who are in a class of 30 and just cannot unfortunately expect that the teacher will know enough about dyslexia to tailor every class to to them, unfortunately. And I I think there are a number of things you can do at home, you know, to, to support children. And there is brilliant assistive technology now. There's something I really want to shout about that it's new to me and Microsoft have just um, been doing a new immersive reader tool that's accessible online for free uh, through Office 365 and I think that they're sort of going into schools and training teachers on, on what's accessible and it is free so you can you know it's on Windows 10 I believe and it features so, so some dyslexics need uh, a reader and a scribe they're so dyslexic that they can't you know read and write in exams etc now this immersive reader tool can't be used in exams but for study is brilliant because it has things like text to speech uh, software with sort of synchronized highlighting uh, it's, it, a grammar function syllabalizes words in colors, so it chunks words into colors, so it's much easier to read and decode. And it's even got a picture dictionary, so if you just cannot decode the word, you click on it and a picture appears of what it is. So I just think it's phenomenal what access children are going to have, hopefully in schools. I mean, it is out there, it is free for schools to use, so... For me, this should be being used everywhere. So uh, we were, as we were speaking to our previous guest as well, yes. Jane was saying you've got yes. to educate yourself. Absolutely. I mean, parents, are so, so, I think there's only so much teachers can do. They do their best with classes of, of 30. You know, it is hard work for them to do it. So I think parents, it's, it's sort of in their hands to have the biggest impact and find out about local support groups. I know Jane was talking about this. And in Hertfordshire, local area where, where you are broadcasting, I know there's something called DSPLs, uh, which means delivering special provision locally. And these are groups that Hertfordshire County Council um, have initiated. And I, I believe they provide parent workshops and meetings across a variety of, of, of SEN topics. And there are local dyslexia associations. We've got a brilliant one, Richmond Dyslexia Association, and they run talks that are really informative and coffee mornings where parents can talk to each other. As Jane was saying, it's so important to have that community feel to say gosh this is hard what do i do you know and it's powerful stuff and i know a brilliant guy called john hicks who he's actually a dyslexia blogger he's a he's a parent of a dyslexic daughter and he's he again has been through the whole process and he has a sort of facebook group there's a closed group specifically for parents of dyslexic 
children where they can chat about their experiences. So there's so many things and, and, and out there. And Just Sarah, as well, yeah. you list you gave us so many websites. Again, we've collated <laughs> all of those, <laughs> all of Jane's. And goodness me, parents will be in such a good position. So they some of the videos, for example, on how to like some of the things you can show your your child are just yes. inspiring and Absolutely. Lovely. The, the best one to show a child is See Dyslexia Differently, which is a YouTube clip. It's about three minutes long and it is talking about, yes, of course, the difficulties you'll have in an academic setting, but how brilliant your brain can be. And, you know, there's a, an amazing charity called Made by Dyslexia that's a sort of a global charity. I think they actually teamed up with Microsoft to do this brilliant tech, uh, assistive tech stuff. Um, and that's led by successful dyslexics. I think, you know, Richard Branson's help, uh, is with them, and 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 they have free dyslexia awareness training videos right now. You can go on it and click on it, and they're they're very inspirational actually. And and I think that the key thing for parents is don't try not to focus on the negatives. If you get a diagnosis, obviously you need to provide practical support for them on reading and spelling, but also look at the strengths often associated with dyslexia and encourage your child to, to do activities, hobbies and studies that really play to their strengths. You know, there's engineers, architects, painters, cooks, designers, entrepreneurs, sportsmen and women, all these things. Gorgeous. Point them in, point them in that direction. And that is a fantastic note to end our <laughs> fabulous parent show on. I just want to thank you so much for giving up your time this evening, Pleasure. Sarah. Pleasure. And also to Jane, thank you so much for coming in and oh, sharing no. that fabulous journey that Archie's taken. Thank uh, you. From struggling to year two and now he's off to a academic, brilliant, one of the top schools in the country. So congratulations to him and to you. And Sarah, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? How can people get in touch with you? Um, via our website, um, which is www.octuition.co.uk, or you can email me, sarah at octuition.co.uk. Very happy to help if I can. Thank you so much to everyone. You've been listening to The Parents Show on Radio Verlum 92.6 FM.